you beautiful bastards. Hope you having a fantastic Tuesday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. As you may have noticed, I'm not wearing a dress shirt today. I really wanted to, to show something that showed off my complete lack of muscles, or really any notable upper body features. Also, uh, we're gonna start today off with a little note. The schedule this week is a little bit different. This morning, yes, there was an Extra Morning News Deep Dive, which I highly recommend. You're getting this show, you're getting the Wednesday Philip DeFranco Show, and then on Thursday, because I'm actually gonna be out of the studio on Thursday and Friday, Thursday's video is a, a little different. It's closer to a solo, and what I'm gonna try and do is, even though I'm out of studio on Friday, is I'm gonna try and at least do a, a live stream from my phone. And so I'm giving you this heads up, one, so I'm not wasting your time, and you know when I'm gonna be here and when I'm not, and two, when people do eventually on Thursday and Friday say, where's the show? you can, uh, you know, speak down to them from your position of superiority. You know, the other reason the internet was invented other than porn. But with that said, let's just jump into it. And the first thing we're going to talk about today is the story that was just blowing up this morning, and that is the story around this Esquire cover and feature. You see a young man in his bedroom. It reads, Ryan Morgan, a high school senior in Wisconsin at home. I know what I can't do. I just don't know what I can do. An American boy, what it's like to grow up white, middle class, and male in the era of social media, school shootings, toxic masculinity, me too, and a divided country. And wouldn't you know it, there was a massive, massive reaction to this. And if you look to Twitter, a lot of the top responses, not really happy. And to get an idea, let's roll through some. Finally, the representation we've been waiting for. Jamel Hill writing, because you know what we don't discuss nearly enough, the white male experience. Zara Rahim tweeting, imagine this same American boy headline with someone who looked like Trayvon talking about what it's like to have your mother sit you down to tell you how to stay alive in your own city during Black History Month. Just imagine, shame on you, Esquire. So there is that, but on the other end of this, you had the editor in chief of Esquire, Jay Fielden, explaining this choice of story and cover with his own piece titled, Why Your Ideological Echo Chamber Isn't just bad for you, it's also bad for your kids. And he explains, one of our senior editors helpfully recalled a classic Esquire profile, Susan Orlean's 1992 account of the day-to-day -day life of a 10-year-old boy. 26 years later, we decided to follow that model, but to enlarge it into a series on growing up now, white, black, LGBTQ, female, that will continue to appear in coming issues. And adding with the first installment written by Jennifer Percy, what we asked Jen to do, and she did brilliantly, was to look at our divided country through the eyes of one kid. Ryan Morgan is his name. He's white, lives in the middle of the reddest county in Wisconsin, and as you will see, he is an unusually mature, intelligent, and determined young man. And so I read this Esquire piece this morning because I, I don't like to love or hate something without actually experiencing it. Right? Like, I know that the internet's gonna have a massive reaction to a trailer for Dear White People or Insatiable as they did before people got to experience the final thing. But, you know, I really wanted to go through this 7,000 word piece because I, I felt that there were gonna be a, a lot of people that were sounding off on it without fully consuming it because it is, it, it's kind of lengthy when you compare it to just like how fast and quick a photo is or just a, a small tweet is. And I'll say my personal opinion, you know, reading through this, one, I liked this piece, and two, I look forward to future pieces from different people's point of view. Like when I see tweets like this one from Tyler McCall saying, I get what Esquire was going for here, but ooh boy, talk about failing to read the room. My response to that is, no, you're just reading your room. If you want to stay in your echo chamber, you metaphorically look at the room that you are in and then spew out whatever you think works for that room. And I think it's important that we look to people that we don't necessarily align with or relate with and, and see kind of their, their thinking, their everyday, their, their, their where they're coming from. So one, you can maybe understand them and we can connect as human beings. And two, at the very least, you can understand the flaws in their argument if there are flaws there. It allows for there to be a greater conversation. And to the argument of this isn't a story that needs to be featured, we've heard this story before, 
I'm personally interested. I know some people are gonna respond to that and be like, well, it's because you're a white guy and I'm not gonna play victim there. You can have that opinion. But for me, it's interesting because for the past decade, I've lived in Los Angeles. Right? I've lived in an incredibly liberal place and some of the things, they rub me the wrong way. Some things have opened my eyes to different perspectives. And so on that note of caring about different perspectives, I think it's, it's important to look at someone that I don't necessarily align with. Yes, we're white guys, but we have completely different backgrounds. We have different day-to-day -day life experiences that aren't connected to my job, right? It's been, once again, over a decade since I've lived in a place like North Carolina or Florida. And I understand that for everyone, it's an easier way to view the world when it's like everyone's good guy or bad guy. But I truly think that there's a lot to be learned by listening to other people's story. You don't have to respect it. You don't have to think that every point is valid. And especially given the understanding that this is part of a series that's gonna feature a lot of different point of views, I get excited. And also, it's not even just an understanding other human beings on a human level standpoint. I mean, just talk about strategy. If going into the 2020 election, one of the things on your mind, if you're working in strategy, is not Hey, in Wisconsin, which is a battleground state, Obama had won it, then Trump won it, barely beating Hillary Clinton. What are young white men who are gonna be of voting age next year who view themselves as moderate thinking? You are not thinking, and if you're a Democrat, you're possibly underestimating Trump and his pull again. And if anything, I think a lot of the, the backlash and just unwillingness to even read it speaks to the content of the piece. Where you have this 17 year old who feels like he's lost. He feels like everyone's you know picking a team. He talks about the situation where this girl attacks him, she cuts him up, he hit her back, it turned into this whole thing where people were calling him a woman beater. And so seeing based off of that experience, how it molded his opinion on society and the relationships between men and women, I mean, that's very interesting. Also the viewpoints around scandals and the minimization of certain scandals for certain reasons. And I guess this is kind of just a lot of words to say, and I've been guilty of this in the past, I feel like we need to try and pull back from being so reactionary and, and willing to hear stories. Not saying that every story is, is a valid view of the world and everyone's life experience, just to try to understand someone. But uh, with that said, that's a story, that's my personal opinion, and of course I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts around this? Then in some quick industry news, we should talk about Shane Dawson. Yesterday he released the second of his two promised movie length videos diving into conspiracy theories. And this piece was something that stood out for kind of three reasons. The first being that it's really amazing to see that this has become kind of a site-wide event. Kind of as we talked about last time, the front-facing views on a video and the real-time views on the back end, they don't always match, but as of recording this video, it's at 7.8 million views. And it's such a big site-wide event, I, if you're another creator out there, I'd love for you if, you, if you're comfortable sharing your analytics. We usually see a drop in the number of people watching our video during the first two to three hours of release of a Shane Dawson video, and then it kind of fish hooks up. Right, essentially our numbers drop, and then they go back on trend, but it's, it's really interesting to watch. Two, Shane Dawson seemingly ruined pizza for a lot of people, so much so to the point that Chuck E. Cheese even had to release a statement with a spokesperson reportedly saying, the claims made in this video about Chuck E. Cheese's and our pizza are unequivocally false. No conspiracies here. Our pizzas are made to order and we prepare our dough fresh in restaurant, which means that they're not always perfectly uniform in shape, but always delicious. And I don't want to ruin Shane's video. It's about recycled pizza. You can watch it on your own. And finally three, Shane Dawson kind of did a feature slash deep dive with Brittany Louise Taylor, who's an old school YouTuber on this platform. She has a wild story to tell. I was only aware of it beforehand because my wife had read her book. And they dive into that and it's very interesting. But, you know, previously we talked about there are certain creators on this platform that they are kingmakers, right? They move mountains. And yesterday we actually saw that. Yesterday, Shane, in that video, below the read more buttons, you actually had to take an action to be able to see the link, linked out to her book. Her book was over 21,000th on Amazon, 37, 93, 1879th in different categories. Looking into it the morning after, from this somewhat hidden link, her book on Amazon became 39th overall, number two, number two, and number 12 in those previously mentioned categories. And the audiobook for it is number one in all its listed categories. So I guess if there was one point to the end of this story, while a lot of influencers hate being called influencers, I think this is one 
one of an ever-increasing number of stories where we see the influence is real. And with this specific example, for YouTube and other creators, I think it's either neutral and or slightly positive because it brings more people to the platform. For, for Chuck E. Cheese, probably a negative, and for Brittany Louise Taylor, a definite positive. Then, in what was really not a surprising outcome, we saw El Chapo was convicted on 10 charges today, and those reportedly included engaging in a continuing criminal enterprise, conspiracy to launder narcotics proceeds, international distribution of cocaine, heroin, marijuana, and other drugs, and the use of firearms. So right now, reportedly, he's looking at potentially life in a high-security prison. And the reason I say people were not surprised is, I mean, the prosecution just laid into El Chapo for 11 weeks straight, and when it was the defense's turn, they called one witness and arrested after 30 minutes. And of course, the reason the high security part of this story is incredibly meaningful is that El Chapo has escaped prison in the past multiple times in crazy fashion. So there was that that happened just as we were finishing up. And then because we're gonna be gone on Friday, I wanna make sure that we talked about this potential government shutdown again. As you likely remember, after last month's historic 35-day government shutdown, Donald Trump signed a bill that reopened the government for just three weeks. And those three weeks come to an end this Friday. But reportedly, Congress might actually have a plan to keep the government open with Republican Senator Richard Shelby telling reporters that House and Senate negotiations reached an agreement in principle. We reached an agreement in principle uh, between us on all on the uh, Homeland Security and the other six bills. Uh, we, our staffs are going to be working feverishly to put all of the particulars together. And this agreement allows for $1.375 billion of new fencing and barriers along 55 miles of the U.S.-Mexican border, specifically along the Rio Grande Valley in Texas. And some things you may have noticed if you've been paying attention to this situation, this number is far less than Trump's initial request of $5.7 billion to build a wall on a stretch of over 200 miles. And what's interesting is it's actually even less than the amount Democrats originally agreed to back in 2018, which is $1.6 billion for 65 miles of border barrier, the same amount the Department of Homeland Security asked for in their 2019 budget. Also, as far as the structure, it only allows for fencing structures, not an actual wall, but the fencing will resemble the, quote, steel slats Trump has mentioned in the past. And reportedly in exchange, Democrats dropped their stand to limit the number of people who can be detained for immigration violations within the United States. Instead, agreeing to a cap on the amount of beds ICE can have in detention centers, making it somewhat of a theoretical cap on the amount of people ICE can detain. Although of note here, ICE and Republicans say that ICE has enough funding and facilities to keep detention levels where they are at. And with this situation, we saw the likes of Democratic Senator Patrick Leahy speaking to the compromises that parties had to make here, telling reporters, there's not a single one of us who's going to get every single thing we want, but nobody does. But we are going to get what is best for the United States. So who made the plan and what is this all about? Well, the agreement comes from members of the House and Senate Appropriations Committee. Members reportedly reached the deal last night and will continue to work on even more detail. As far as the reaction to all of this, we saw Trump at a rally in El Paso last night say, As I was walking up to the stage, they said that progress is being made with this committee. Just so you know, we're building the wall anyway. But while Trump hadn't really seen the specifics of the deal yet, we saw many conservatives critical of the deal. We had the likes of Representative Mark Meadows, a leader of the House Freedom Caucus, telling the Washington Post, this does not represent a fraction of what the president has promised to the American people. I don't speak for the president, but I can't imagine he will be applauding something so lacking. Meanwhile, you had the likes of Sean Hannity simply calling the deal a garbage compromise. But still, the big wait was to see what Donald Trump would say. Would he support it or would he threaten a veto? And today, during a cabinet meeting, this is what we got. Am I happy at first Lance, I just got to see it. The answer is no, I'm not. I'm not happy. But am I happy with where we're going? I'm thrilled because we're supplementing things and moving things around and we're doing things that are fantastic and taking from far less, really from far less important areas. 
And uh, the bottom line is we're building a lot of wall. Right now, we're building a lot of wall. And that last part where he's talking about moving funds from less important areas, that appears to be connected to something acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney mentioned on Sunday, where he said the administration would secure the border either by reprogramming leftover government funds or by declaring a national emergency. But he still didn't outright say that he would vote for or against it. But also on that note of national emergency, we have seen pushback from Republican senators. Some having an issue because of the constitutionality of it, as well as just people concerned of the precedent it sets. And this is something we've seen people like Republican Mitch McConnell even in the past warning Democrats before they made a big move. The party in power now is not always the party in power then, and setting precedent is very powerful. But with that said, ultimately that is where we are with the situation right now. It's going to be very interesting to see how the situation evolves. Are we looking? at another shutdown or will this get pushed through and the, the story will be we did get funds from somewhere else. But while we have to wait and see, I'd of course love to pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts on the situation? What, what do you want to happen? What do you think will happen? And that's actually where we're going to end today's show. And remember, if you like this video, you like what we're trying to do on this channel, let us know, hit that like button. Also, if you're new here, you wanna join the family, you wanna get more of these daily dives into the news, hit that subscribe button. I also highly recommend you ring the bell to turn on notifications. Also, if you missed this morning's Extra Morning News Deep Dive or yesterday's Philip DeFranco show, you can click or tap right there to watch those. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.